Well, it's great to be back with you and have an opportunity to, to share another one of these stories of the kingdom, these parables of Jesus that uh, have so much to teach us. I'm always grateful to be able to uh, fill in for Pastor Wes um, because I appreciate him and his ministry so much, uh, and it's nice that he can get a break. Uh, if we uh, judge by his Instagram account, they're having a great time, <laughs> and, uh, and so... But, but when he comes back, I'm going to have to talk to him because I, I feel like these last few months, the, the texts he's given me to preach have been particularly difficult. And I think maybe he planned it that way. I, I'm not sure. But this one's, this one's weird. I'm just saying. I, I, I've spent the last three weeks trying to, trying to think about this passage and figure out what we were going to say together here today. And, and I, think, I think the Lord has something for us in this, but I got to say, it's a little unusual. So let's have a look in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Uh, I, I am of the conviction that there is nothing in Scripture that isn't there by intention. And uh, everything that we encounter in the Word of God is worth studying and thinking about. Sometimes it just takes a little more effort to figure out what it is <laughs> that's being said here. And uh, you'll understand what I'm getting at um, when we get into this. Uh, or maybe even just from reading it right away. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So, he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Uh, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Wow. Well, we have no shortage of things to chew on here, so <laughs> we will get into it. Lord, just, just guide us. Lord, teach us something by your spirit. Make, we, we're confident that you're present with us. You're always with us. Uh, we are in the presence of, of your people, with your word, and, and uh, under the direction of your spirit, so we're pretty confident that you're going to have something to say to us here this morning. We just pray that we'd have the wisdom to figure out what it is and how to respond faithfully uh, to what it is that you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like a wake-up call is jarring. I don't know how you woke up this morning. I had to set an alarm. And, uh, you know, some mornings you, you wake up and uh, it's no big deal. Makes, like often, the best mornings for me, I don't know about you, best mornings for me is when I wake up like three minutes before the alarm. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you know, that, that's just perfect. Three minutes, not, not enough time to settle back to sleep. And then the alarm goes off and I'm ready for it. It's good. I mean, this time, no, I was dead sleep. I was in like that deep, I don't know, there's a word for it, that deep level sleep, you know, and the alarm goes off and I'm like, ah. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a wake up call, but you need that sometimes, right? You need, you need to be jarred awake sometimes when you've uh, been a little too comfortable, when you've forgotten your responsibilities sometimes, you need a wake up call. Well, in this story, there's these two guys. There's the master and the manager. And so we're going to be, be, you know, looking at the interplay between the master, who is in charge of all of this company, I guess, this enterprise, and the manager, who is an employee, who is in charge of, of uh, you know, a great deal of uh, the master's uh, operations. So we have this relationship between the two. Now, the master needed to be able to trust the manager to be faithful with the things that uh, he'd been given responsibility for. That makes sense. Uh, most of us are employees of one kind or another. We're responsible to somebody, and we, you know, we have to, to take care of the things that we have been uh, accountable for. Now, this manager had forgotten that a little bit, or had uh, been messing around in some way, or at least had become uh, less attentive to some of the things that, that he should have. And uh, you know, I don't know that he intended his dishonesty. You know, that, that if, if he was like a, a guy who was just like deeply evil in his heart and just, just had been pocketing money, I don't really know what the situation was with this guy. Uh, uh, it might have been that he just got a little bit lazy. Uh, I mean, the, what the text actually says was that uh, he had been accused of being wasteful of wasting the possessions. And, and so the word gets to the, the master. Uh, one of the other uh, managers, perhaps, comes and brings word to, to the boss and says, look, are you aware of what's going on in sector 17? 
<laughs> oh, uh, sector, uh, yeah, I've got a manager handling that. It's, it's all cool. Well, actually, maybe not. Have you been paying attention to what's been going on over there? I'm, I'm not sure that the manager really has your back. I'm not really sure that he's been, been fulfilling his responsibilities the way he's supposed to. Oh, really? Yeah, actually, I, I prepared a PowerPoint here. Let me show you. And, and uh, you know, the, man, the master goes through the details, checks the books, says, oh, we're gonna have to deal with this. So, calls the manager in and says, what's this I hear about you wasting my possessions? Well, that's a wake-up call. You, know, you get called on the carpet. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. I've, I've had that experience. You know, where you think you're maybe doing all right or maybe you just haven't paid that much attention and all of a sudden uh, somebody above you calls you on the carpet. Says, uh, I'm going to have to let you go. What am I going to do? The manager thinks. How am I going to respond to this? I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a laboring kind of guy. I'm not strong enough. Text actually says I'm not strong enough to dig. Digging, depends what you're digging, I guess, but it doesn't take a great deal of strength. But <laughs> I, take, I take it from, from the text that this guy was like an office manager kind of person. Not strong enough to dig. I'm I, I, too ashamed to beg. Uh, so what am I going to do? Well, he comes up with a plan. And uh, so he calls in all of the master's debtors. I, I assume these are clients. These are people that maybe he had been working with. And uh, he says uh, to each one, how much do you owe? So the first guy says, well, I own 900 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot. Not sure what kind of business we're talking about here. You know, I mean, they did a lot of different things with olive oil in those days. 900 gallons. The manager says, okay, quickly, quickly. Like, <laughs> write down 450. Okay, sure, great. You know, the, <laughs> that, that makes my burden lighter. Uh, next guy, how many, how many uh, what do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. Make it 800. Really? Yeah, make it 800. <laughs> great. <laughs> so the debtors are pretty happy <laughs> about this situation. Their burden has been uh, lifted quite substantially. And uh, the, this manager's concept is that after he loses his job to the master, by having done this, that uh, these folks might welcome him in when it comes time for him to go job hunting. Well, even the master had to admit that this was clever. Uh, and he did. Now, Jesus seems to think so too which is the weird part, <laughs> okay? Like, Jesus tells this story as a way of encouraging his disciples to uh, this form of, of wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> well, I don't know what was going on in your mind while we were reading this passage, but while I was reading it, I was having an entirely different kind of reaction. Perhaps I'm just too cynical. But as I'm reading the passage, I'm seeing this more as selfishness on the part of, of the servant, not so much service, you know? I, I, I was reading it a little more cynically. But then, to be truthful, I often struggle 
to understand exactly what God intends by the use of money in the context of his kingdom. Well, there's a lot of stories in the Gospels. A lot of these parables are about exactly this, about the use of money in the context of the kingdom. Do you know, I, I did some research on this, Jesus talked, about, talked more about money than anything else. Like just if you do a, 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 a count of number of verses, and I know that's not the only way to judge the importance of something, but it does give you a sense of just how much it was on Jesus' mind. So like in the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, just, just a sort of brute count of verses, uh, there are 500, roughly 500 verses that deal with prayer. Well, that's a lot because prayer is important. There's 500 verses that deal with faith, also important, uh, and so, you know, a lot of verses. How many verses did Jesus uh, speak directly to the issue of money in the Gospels? Anybody know? 2,000 verses, <laughs> like four times as much. Now, maybe this is because uh, a lot of people out there think the church is all about money, and that's all we care about, Maybe that's the reason, right? Jesus only cares about money. Well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think it's because Jesus actually cares that much about money, but I think it's because we do, <laughs> right? So, so, like, money is, is, I think I've said this to you last month in another, when we were looking at another parable. Like, like, money is the most, probably the quickest way to get at an understanding of our heart. Right? Like if you really want to understand what's going on in your mind, in your heart, in, in the core of your being, just think about how you're dealing with money, right? Okay, so this is a big deal. We've got to figure this out. And this particular passage is particularly troubling uh, to me because the master, and even Jesus here, seems to commend the manager for what appears to me to be dishonesty. So what do we do with that? Like, at best, it seems like the manager is showing just a kind of cavalier approach to his own interests and his own money. Or, or at worst, he's commending dishonesty, supporting a devious approach. You know, like, especially when you read things like, you know, do, write this down, write it quickly, you know, before the master notices what's going on. Like, like this seems weird. It seems weird. Now, I, I, I've read this, as I said, over the last number of weeks. I've been thinking about it, praying about it, struggling with it, uh, trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, often when I do that, you, know, you, you figure some things out fairly quickly. You come to some conclusions. You, you, you get an idea of what uh, the text is trying to communicate fairly quickly. This one I struggled with. So, uh, you know, I went to the commentators, to, to uh, the guys, who, the, the people who have written on this text across history to try and figure out what the church has said about this passage over time. And I found a lot of stuff. There's just a lot of uh, weird ideas that people have had trying to almost rationalize this story. So one commentator suggested, well, uh, maybe what the manager was doing here was just writing off the interest. So in that case, it wasn't that big a deal. You know, it wasn't the actual debt. It was just writing off the interest on the debt. In which case, well, 
It doesn't really resolve the problem. (laughs) The issue is still there, and we have no indication in the text that that was actually what happened. Uh, Another one suggested that maybe the manager was uh, writing off his commission, which he may have a right to do. Uh, 50% commission on the olive oil seems a little high. Uh, Perhaps there's no indication that, that that's what's actually going on here. Again, it doesn't really resolve the question of dishonesty, and because he's not being clear about it. And, it, but on the other hand, it does help us maybe appreciate uh, the manager a little bit more. Uh, you know, there, there have been various suggestions here. One, one uh, possibility is that the manager was going to pay the master back out of his own pocket. Well, that's a nice thought, uh, but, but, you know, maybe, maybe, I suppose, uh, but it's unlikely, <laughs> you know, because there's no indication, again, of that in the text. The guy's about to be unemployed. He doesn't want to go in debt for 450 gallons of olive oil. I mean, that's, that's a lot, right? 500 bushels or 200 bushels of wheat, that's not likely, but we're struggling with this. I, another possibility is, is that we're not supposed to take this quite so literally. Uh, we're supposed to see it as a general kind of uh, description about generosity. You know, that, that the manager was just being generous here to these, these debtors. And, uh, you know, the fact that it might benefit him himself down the road is a byproduct. Well, maybe you know, there, there might be something there, particularly when you continue and read the rest of chapter 16. You see some references to things around almsgiving and stuff like that. So, so there might be something there. Um, you know, generosity is always a, a, a good theme <laughs> in scripture. But, you know, again, no indication, direct indication from the text that this is what we're looking at here. So it's a puzzler. It's, it's a bit of a, a challenge. We have nothing in the text that indicates anything about the details of these financial transactions. We have no uh, you know, legal contracts described, no deal sheet, nothing that, to describe the details. And we have nothing here that, that really gets at the motivation of the manager, except for some comments about his shrewdness and his dishonesty. I mean, he's described directly as dishonest in this whole thing, and yet he's commended. So again, what do we do? Well, I think one thing is that we can assume the best reading of the situation, given that Jesus invented this story as a way of teaching something, making a larger point to his disciples. And by the way, that, that was something that, that kind of grabbed me. Like, you this wasn't an actual event, right? This didn't actually happen. This is a story that Jesus put together. It's a parable. Like, like this is uh, I, uh, almost like a fable, you know, like, like it's, it, it's a fictitious description of realistic events that Jesus has constructed in order to make a point, to make a larger point. We understand that. We do that sort of thing all the time. It does, in fact, in some ways, it, it, it makes the story even more important than if it was an actual series of events because Jesus intended it. He, he actually wrote it this way for these purposes. So uh, that suggests to me that uh, 
that we can take a positive reading somehow to what's going on here because Jesus is trying to teach us something. Okay, what is it that he's trying to teach? Well, we keep reading. You've heard me say that before. Always a good idea. Whenever you get stumped in scripture, key principle, keep reading and see what else you might learn as you keep going. So we keep reading here and Jesus himself offers uh, some takeaways, you might call them, some uh, summary statements uh, that build out of the story. And there's three of them. My problem with what Jesus offers, they're both, they're, all three are very good in and of themselves, but it's very difficult to relate those three summary statements to the parable that we've taught before. And, and, uh, and, and also the three, uh, it struggle a little bit to, to connect them, but we'll see how that works. So uh, he starts here in uh, verse 10, or sorry, earlier than that, uh, verse 8, Verse 8, the master commends the dishonest manager, <laughs> the dishonest manager, because he acted shrewdly. Hmm, that's the disconnect. We're, we're commending shrewdness or dishonesty here. What do we do with that? For, that, that's a very interesting uh, grammatical connection there. The master commends the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for, in consequence, of the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So what Jesus seems to be saying here with this uh, sort of summary statement is that Christians could learn something, believing folk could learn something from unbelieving folk about the wise and resourceful and shrewd use of money. Hmm. That's probably true. <laughs> it's probably true. I've been around churches a lot, been a lot, around a lot of Christian people, and you know what I've seen a lot of in the church? when it relates to money? Fear. <laughs> you know, a lot of us are afraid of money because we're so aware of what it indicates about our heart, and that makes us nervous, and so we tend to do things like burying it in the ground. <laughs> you know, uh, we, there's other parables around that that we've been looking at. <sighs> Jesus seems to be saying, that those of us, he calls us people of the light, which is a wonderful expression for us, a wonderful descriptor of those of us who are in Christ, people of the light, we could do well by learning from people of the darkness <laughs> about the resourceful, we might say, or the shrewd use of something like money. Okay. Okay. I'm a little surprised, but this is Jesus, so we keep going. <laughs> okay. Second thing he says, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches 
And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This one, I can understand a little more easily. Um, you know, I, I, in fact, I remember in my first year at uh, college, uh, one of uh, the other guys in the dormitory had a poster on their door with this very verse on it. You know, it's basically the idea, uh, if we have to be faithful with what God has given us in any particular moment. So even if I have a little bit, be faithful with that, and then maybe God will bless you with more. If, if, if you want more, you're not gonna have more until you prove yourself with less. And you know what? I mean, it's biblical and it's wonderful, but it's not even just biblical. Like everybody gets that, right? <laughs> like any employer in the world, any business understands that. You, you trust somebody with a little bit first, and if they can prove themselves, then you can trust them with more. It's just good wisdom. Okay, so, but now you gotta understand, I'm, I'm feeling really nervous because you put those two principles together and we start to get a little bit uncomfortable. So uh, Jesus says, we can learn something from the world about being resourceful, about being clever, about being shrewd with the use of things like money. And uh, until we prove that we can be shrewd, you know, almost to the point of dishonest, <laughs> uh, you know, he's not going to give us more. See, I've seen a lot of people who kind of act on the basis of those two principles, <laughs> and it can get ugly. Which is why I'm relieved a little bit to have the third takeaway <laughs> that Jesus offers here. The third one, in verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we've heard that before in other passages. This is a good thing. I mean, Jesus, this comes from uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can't serve both God and money. If you're devoted to one, you won't be devoted to the other. I mean, it's, it, if, if you love money, you don't love God. If you love God, you can't love money. It's just an equation that simple, okay? And, but see, that's the part that gives me encouragement because it's in the context of that third statement that we have to read all the other things. So, so if we're going to be, um, if God is going to trust us with money, or things, or influence, or responsibility, I, I, whether it be a little or a lot, probably a little before it becomes a lot, if God is going to trust us with that, he's expecting us to be resourceful in the use of these things, but all of that is in the context of our devotion to him, right? So if we are truly and fully devoted to him, we don't love money, we love God. That's the governing principle that allows these other concepts to start to make sense. Yeah? I mean, it's helpful, <laughs> okay? God expects us to be resourceful in the use of the things that he's given us, that he's entrusted with us, us with, for the sake of his kingdom. We have to let, uh, we have to let our money serve the master 
before our money masters us. Right? Let the money, your money serve your master before your money masters you or I. Okay, now, we haven't talked about the Pharisees yet. And that's interesting because while he was speaking to his disciples, you know how Jesus talked about, this happened so many times. There'd be a crowd of people who loved him, people who were trying to serve him, and they were the ones up close. They're like you guys at the front of the room. You know, like we got the, we got the people. <laughs> when Sharon was saying that, that right at 10 o'clock, we only had a few people here, I said to my wife, the cool thing was there weren't there many here, but they were all sitting in the first two rows. It's awesome. Because you guys are the keeners. You guys are the, you guys are the awesome ones who really love Jesus. That's why you're sitting in the front rows, right? And you guys at the back, back there, well, you know. <laughs> But, that, but that's how it often was, right? Like you'd have the people up close who really loved Jesus, and then you had the Pharisees kind of leaning against the wall, you know, at the back of the room. And I think that while Jesus would speak to the ones at the front of the room directly, he was indirectly, but very purposefully, speaking to the people at the back of the room, you know, the, the uh, Pharisees, Right? These Pharisees, who were the empowered religious leaders, they were, the, they were the people running the religious stuff, and they were empowered, and they loved money. Right? They were all about their power. They were all about their influence. They were all about the money. I mean, it says so uh, right here. Verse 14, the Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this, and they were sneering at him. <laughs> sneering. Can you imagine? Try, I tried to, I was doing this this morning, trying to imagine a worse word <laughs> that Jesus could have used, or that the text could have used. A worse word than sneering. Like that's, it's like condescension. It's like distaste, just like, ugh. So these people who were running the religious institutions of the day, who were in power, who loved money, listened to this parable that Jesus taught, and they understood very quickly. Maybe they were sharper than that. Maybe they, they got it instantly, and they were sneering. They were sneering. Why? Well, the, the, the passage says that these, these guys, Jesus said, verse 15, had become very good at justifying themselves in the eyes, sorry, justifying themselves to themselves and also to others. But, verse 15, God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. And in their heart, the problem with Pharisees, in their heart, I think what was going on is that they were identifying with the wrong player in the story. The Pharisees were not identifying with the manager. The Pharisees were identifying with the master. 
The problem was, the reason the Pharisees were sneering, the reason that they were disdainful here, is they thought Jesus' story was cutting at their own interests because they're the ones in charge. They're the ones in power. They're the masters. They're offended. They're, they don't like this because the, the, the message is cutting at their prophets. What do you mean, cut 450 gallons of oil? That's our money you're talking about. You can't cut 200 bushels of wheat. That's our interest. That's the concern here. Lord have mercy. Father, forgive us. If we would get to the place, those of us who, who have been entrusted, entrusted, with the highest and holiest things, that we would somehow get to the place where we would own those things for ourselves. When we would get to the place where we think this money belongs to me, where we would get to the place where we think this authority, this responsibility, this trust is mine. Verse 16 this is detestable in God's sight. Detestable in the sight of the creator. It's hard to imagine a more damning response. Okay. So read this. Try to figure it out. Try to help you figure it out. And the problem is not just like the interpretive challenges, you know, the hermeneutical jujitsu that you need to do to figure this out. <laughs> the problem is that I'm aware, deeply aware, that God expects me to take this personally. You know, because... On one level, I'm a religious leader. I'm not a Pharisee. That's not my title. <laughs> I have a different title. But I'm in charge of stuff that matter to him, you know, and I need to hear this. I think we all are, right? To varying degrees. We all have some kind of responsibility to someone, some kind of trust that we all have been given, maybe here in the church, maybe in our home, maybe at work, Maybe with our family and life, we've all been given responsibility. We're all entrusted. We're all trustees in one way or another. And so we have to take this seriously. We have to read this and think it through and really understand what it is God's saying to us. And so I, I three takeaways kind of following what Jesus said for me. And these are things that I'm thinking about. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It wasn't lost on me that I'm reading this text about trust and money and all that the same week that I've been dealing with lawyers and realtors and bankers and all this kind of stuff about our housing situation and just like the weirdness of that. It's been pretty <sighs> convicting at times. <laughs> so, so three things. First of all, size doesn't matter in this. You know, like, like the amount doesn't matter, right? 900 
gallons of olive oil. I don't even know, like, like I got a little jar of olive oil on my kitchen counter. <laughs> but, but, and I know it was expensive, but 900 gallons seems like a lot, but, you know, maybe it'd be a lot to me, not so much to somebody else. Like, the amount doesn't matter. God entrusts all of us at his pleasure with whatever he feels like we need or should have at any given moment, right? So whatever it is that I'm trusted with right now, whatever you're trusted with right now, that's, that's, that's the trust, right? That's important. It's enough for now. So let's, we have to do the best we can with what we have, what we've been trusted with in this particular moment. In my case, when I look at certain things, I think, wow, I've been entrusted with a lot, you know, with, with a marriage, with, with children, with grandchildren. You know, with, I have employees, I have property, I have this, <laughs> you know, and it's a lot. It's a lot. Secondly, second thing I'm thinking about, struggling with, praying through right now, is the question, have I been resourceful in the use of the things God has trusted me with uh, for the sake of the kingdom? Have I been resourceful? Have have I been wise? Have, Have I been clever? Have I been willing to take a risk? Have I been... To use the word the text offers, have I been shrewd? Yeah, sometimes, I think, people who know me. Third, do I get, do you get, do we get, that I'm not the master in this story, and neither are you. Right? This isn't my stuff. This isn't my money. This isn't my trust. This is, this is his. I'm the manager in this story and not the master. Because if I get that messed up, I'm in trouble. I can't afford the fallout of that. Do I, like, where is my heart? God says he read the Pharisee's heart. Or the Bible says God read the Pharisee's heart. He's reading my heart right now. He's reading your heart right now. And what's he finding there? Where's your devotion? Is it to God or is it to your stuff? Because it can't be both. It can't be both. I mean, this isn't the only time we read this stuff in Scripture. As I said, Jesus talks these themes a lot. I mean, there's all kinds of stories and examples in Scripture of, of, of people who took the money and buried it, thinking that that was the best way to use the resources that God had, had given, right? Just, just you know, that, that's fear, right? And I've seen that in churches where, where they're afraid, you know, that, that, that who knows what's going to happen. We better not spend this money. We, we better take this money and, 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 and put it in some investment that will pay off in 50 years. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be the direction of the text. You know? there's, there's stories in Scripture about 
But, you know, the widow who, who had just, you know, gave everything she had, the, the fullness of her pittance, you know. All kinds of stories. I, I have stories from my own life, an example of people who've done incredible things to, to help me, you know, in the pursuit of my calling, right? At great cost to themselves. I'm, I'm thinking, Karen, and I'm sure you're thinking about the same thing right now. <laughs> we had this, this couple who came to us when we decided to leave the church we had been leading uh, to go back to study and to do my doctoral work. And, um, and we thought we had it all figured out how we were going to pay for this. And we, we had a plan. And it was an awesome plan until it wasn't. <laughs> you know, and everything that we had planned failed. And, and, and this, this, this dear, dear couple from the church who were not wealthy, they were fine, but they weren't, they weren't rich people, but they came to us with a plan that we couldn't have ever dreamed of or asked for that was at great cost to them, but, but they chose to invest in us in a very powerful way, and God blessed that. God blessed that. It's incredible. They just looked at it as, you know, the stuff they had was God's. And if they could find a way to use it to help his kingdom, and they saw gifting in myself, I guess, and thought they wanted to invest in that for the sake of the kingdom, and they did. And I'm talking a lot of money, you know, and a, and a, and a weird deal. It was, it was crazy, awesome, crazy. But they did it, and God blessed. I think about my own approach and the tightness of my fist you know, way too often. And I wonder about the impact of that. We need to make our money serve the master before our money masters us. <laughs> 